Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hello, everyone. Nick Bradley here, and we are at the 100th episode of Scale Up Your Business. I am so, so incredibly grateful for everybody who has supported me on this journey, has listened to the show, has contributed to the show, has provided feedback, has sent me a message. I have had hundreds hundreds of people contact me over the last 18 months or so, thanking me, offering advice, telling me their story, their journey of how they have built a business or in the process of doing so, their journey of entrepreneurship. So much inspiration, so, so many things that I just didn't even correlate before even coming into this world of podcasting that would be such a gift. So we're here, we've made it. I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody. And what you don't see is you might hear me week in, week out, ranting away on this podcast, but you don't really see what happens behind the scenes. So I want to do a bit of a shout out to my business partner, Rob Williams, and um, person who heads up our marketing and social media agency, Eve, uh, my VA, Christian. Uh, these are people who kind of, you know, every single week, get me set up to do the stuff that I'm doing. So I just wanted to, on this very special episode of Scale Up Your Business, put a big shout out to those guys. And of course, if you haven't subscribed yet, and maybe you're coming into this for the first time on the 100th episode, then please subscribe, have a listen, go back and listen to episode one and have a laugh. And you can sort of see how extremely professional I was back then, joke. Um, and of course, leave a review. Please do that and join our community on Facebook. I'm so thrilled to be helping so many entrepreneurs on their growth and scale-up journey now. And I'm going to keep doing this for another 100, 200, 300, 400, whatever, whatever the journey is for me. And um, as I said, I'm going to be putting my heart, my soul, everything I possibly can into serving you and creating um, great shows for you week in and week out. So the hundredth episode, who have I got? Okay, well, this is, an, this is a really powerful one for me and I'll explain why. I had hesitations about doing podcasts. I, like everyone, I think, you know, when you put yourself out there into the world, you sometimes have self-doubt. You think, is my story actually going to help anybody? Is it good enough? And I remember sitting in a room with a number of other people listening to a whole heap of different things around progressive and marketing stuff and the new way that we should be thinking about business. And a gentleman stood up on stage and he talked about the power of podcasting. And he himself had done hundreds of episodes, I think millions of downloads now. And he was just saying how it had changed his world. And he was a pretty successful guy anyway, but the idea of being able to have this vehicle, this media platform to get your message out there was such a powerful thing. And I remember sitting in that audience thinking, do you know what? There's something about this. There's something about this. So when he finished speaking, he um, offered a chance for us to, to get some mentoring, some coaching on podcasting. And I kind of just jumped up. I signed up straight away. It wasn't a small investment, but I thought, you know what? 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So I did that. I went and did the program, uh, signed up with uh, the agency as well for, for production of a podcast. And then I spent about three months procrastinating because <laughs> at that point, I didn't know what the podcast was going to be about fully. And I thought, ah, oh, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen here? You know, and anyway, long story short, I kindly faced the fear and did it anyway. And I recorded the first six episodes of Scale Up Your Business and the rest, as they say, is history. So that's it. I just want to share that story with you because today the guest that I have on the show is the person who stood up on that stage and inspired me to do this damn thing. And that person is none other than Rob Moore. Now, Rob Moore has an amazing podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur. He is known for being disruptive himself. He is known for all things disruptive. He has held three world records for public speaking. He's authored, I think it's nine books, but there's more. It's hard to keep track with Rob because he always seems to be putting something out there. He's got a global bestseller called Life Leverage. Um, he's founded and co-owns the UK's largest and most disruptive property education business, and he owns and manages over 750 properties with his business partner, Mark Homer. So that's it, Rob Moore. If you haven't listened to his podcast, I suggest you do so. There ain't many good business podcasts in the UK, unfortunately, and his is one of them. But I'd like to welcome him to the show, my mentor, the guy who got me going on this podcast journey. Welcome to the 100th episode of Scale Up Your Business, Mr. Rob Moore. Hi, everybody. Nick Bradley here, and welcome to a very special episode of Scale Up Your Business. It's the 100th episode, and I am mm. delighted to have with me someone who I would call a mentor and someone who would actually say got me started on this whole podcast thing. It's none other than the disruptive entrepreneur himself, Mr. Rob Moore. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be on your 100th episode. I'm very grateful. I believe it's a thing for anniversaries. Didn't you just have a, an anniversary with your wife recently as well? Yeah, this is this is a big weekend for us. So we, we have the yeah. 11th wedding anniversary. We've got her birthday today. And the only thing I'm allowed to do today, Rob, is interview you. Well, then your wife is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something funny. So I was taking my kids out for a quick um, breakfast this morning while my wife was having a massage. And um, I said, I've got a big episode of Scale Up Your Business. And my eight-year-old goes, oh, have you got the queen on, daddy? <laughs> and I said, no, not the Queen. And then she goes, have you got Boris Johnson on, Daddy? And I said, no. I said, but I've got pretty much royalty of, of UK <laughs> business podcasting. <laughs> so I thought I'd enjoy that. Listen, for, for people who don't know you, Rob, now I know obviously in the UK there isn't that many what I call really great business podcasts. That's my, my opinion. Yours is certainly one of the ones I recommend, and it's what got me into podcasting. But for our US audience, about 60% of our listeners are from the US. Do you want to do a quick introduction of who you are? Um, and, and what you're about. Sure. Well, I'm an entrepreneur. I started business when I was six years old because my dad got me working in his pub. Um, we always lived in pubs and hotels, um, probably up until the age of 15, I would say. And so I was used to mucking in and working and I loved it. My dad would get me bottling up on the shelves and filling the fridges from the busy nights before he'd get me emptying the, the tills and the pool tables and the fruit machines and the pinball machines of all the money. Back then there were 10 PP pieces that were like, felt like they were that big. <laughs> and he'd get me to count them all and bag up all the money. And he'd say, how much was the take last night, son? And we'd get, get, um, we'd add it all up together. And he taught me to count. I could, I could do maths really well in terms of counting in my head from like the age of six. 
Um, so it was kind of instilled within me from a young age. But then the school system, which, by the way, I don't knock. If you want to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, then go to the school system, the university system. And that's probably a good route. But when you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to set up a non-conventional business, I'm not sure that's the right route. So I got stuck into that system and I went to university because I perceived that that's what smart people did, because that's what I was told. If you're smart, you go to uni. Yep. Um, but I ended up doing a subject I had no interest in. It was a real waste of time. Um, for business it wasn't a waste of time for social and don't, don't get me wrong but that's a different <laughs> podcast um, and so yeah so I'm like what 25 years old three years out of uni racked up 50 grand's worth of debt um, on a car loan on you know going out of university accommodation and then two or three years of just spending a bit more than I earned each week or month um and then my dad had a nervous breakdown, a huge nervous breakdown in his pub on December the 15th, 2005. And we got sectioned. He got beaten up by the police. Um, this was 15 years ago. And he's he's kind of OK now, but he's in he's probably in his about his four is three years into about his fourth, what we call an episode. And an episode is when he's manic, either very high or very low. And so he's had four major episodes in the last 15 years. And they tend to last two, three, four years. Then we have two or three years of relative normality um, on massive mood stabilizers. Uh, he's in his mid seventies now. Um, and that day, December the 15th, 2005 really woke me up and shook me up. And, and, and I guess was reborn in me that entrepreneurial spirit desire that um, was clearly there, but I'd, I'd forgotten. So um, I set up as an artist evenings and weekends while working in the pub a couple of years before, wasn't really making it. Um, and then uh, end of December, I just started seizing opportunities that came my way because I was desperate from what happened with my dad. Um, and sometimes some pain and desperation can be good for you to create accountability, to, to step up, to stop making excuses, to stop being a victim, to stop blaming everyone else. And I did all those things, Nick, for quite a few years, even though I had a good upbringing. Um, so I started going to property events because people were telling me to. I started um, listening to sales audios and reading, um, you know, property and mindset books because people told me to. And I just started opening my mind to opportunities. Um, and so in February 2006, I blagged a job in a property company where you could say I was kind of an apprentice. Now, I was going to work there for free in the day and do my art evenings and weekends. Um, but my business part, my current business partner helped me get that job and he blagged for me a minimum wage, but 500 pound commission on all any property I sold. I got 500 pound commission and I would have worked for free. I never told him at the time, but I would have done. Um, <laughs> and I worked there for a year and it was like a 10 year. It was better than three degrees you could get because I was sourcing properties. I was selling directly to the end users. Um, there was only me and Mark and then our boss. So. And we were really on the cold face of this um, sort of quite young but disruptive um, company. We learned we had to do all of the sales ourselves, the marketing ourselves, the admin ourselves, the lead generation ourselves. We were doing our own Google AdWords campaigns, everything. And it was a great education. Um, but in that year, probably halfway through, I could feel that entrepreneurial fire again, whereby I'm, I don't make a very good employee. I've had three jobs. No, I've had. Yeah, I've had three jobs and been fired three times. Yeah, you and me uh, both, mate. I've had exactly that same experience. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, look, I tried it. You, you know, you don't know unless you try. I tried being employed. It just didn't work out for me. And that was okay. Um, 
But um, the, the chap who helped me get that job, Mark Homer, um, at the end of that year, 2006, we actually left. Um, it's a long story that I'll get into that another day. And we set up Progressive Property in 2007. Um, so fast forward now, and I, I don't know, I guess we've done about 120 million pounds in sales of our training company. Um, we've got, a, um, a, I don't even know the value of our property portfolio. It's tens of millions. And in London, that'd be hundreds of millions. We're doing one project right now that's a hundred unit conversion. I reckon it'll be worth 21 million when done. Um, we've got one on the other side of the road that's an old pound land that we're converting into 35 units. Um, so property and training, they're my, I guess, two main companies. And, you know, they do me well. They can sometimes be north of 20 million a year in, in turnover or gross revenue. Um, social media has become a quite a big thing for me. So um, I have some pretty good platforms and following on YouTube and Facebook and my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur. I've written 16 books and we're editing 17, 18 and 19 right now. So by the end of the year, I'd have done 19 books, either ghostwritten, co-written or, or authored purely myself. So I, I guess when people say entrepreneur, some people may be, I don't know, could you define them as an entrepreneur? But if an entrepreneur is someone who takes the risk in the hope of profit in multiple disciplines and likes juggling many different businesses and being creative and innovative and disruptive, I guess there's many things that I'm not, Nick, but that would be one thing that I am. Do you know what? I've been around your world, if you, if you want to call it that, for a few years now. As I mentioned at the beginning, I don't think I'd be doing this podcast and have 100 episodes if I hadn't sort of sat in a room with you and, and heard you speak about the power of, of getting a message out there. But I want to go back a, a step to something you said. So, so do you ever think back to that episode, that situation with your dad and wonder if that didn't happen, what you would have become? Because that was obviously yeah. a turning point for you. Have you thought of reflecting on that? Yeah, well, I, if you think about it, every um, nanosecond of every day, we're faced with a decision, aren't we? Like every question you ask me, that I, I could maybe come up with 10 or 20 different answers to those questions. And so every day we're faced with thousands of decisions. So to say would my life have taken a different route, Nick, is to assume just two decisions. One is to carry on with what I was doing and one is was to change to where I went. So in that, in that regard, it's difficult to answer because I don't think any opportunity or decision is binary where it's A or B. I think it's A or infinite other opportunities. And thankfully, I chose A. I, I chose the correct color pill on December the 15th, 2005. But I had a million opportunities in 2005 and four and three and two, but I couldn't see them because I was so negative and so in victim mentality and so down on myself and felt like I was unlucky and everyone else had it better. And I was born into the yeah. wrong family in the wrong country in the wrong culture with no opportunities. And I was just so down on myself. I guess where you're going with the question, Nick, is had I carried on down the road I was on and not taken you know, the decision to step up and be an entrepreneur and start my own business, where might I be? Well, I mean, I would have carried on working in my dad's pub um, through the day or certain shifts, um, earning no more than 200 quid a week. I would have carried on trying to do my art. And might I have made it? Maybe. Likely? No. Um, I mean, I would have made it in art if I'd have just kept going and got my art into more galleries and negotiated with more um, museums and places that and furniture shops and places that will exhibit your art and getting agents and getting my agents to get my work out there. 
But I avoided all that because I hated the the sales, the marketing, the business side of art. I hated it. Um, and I, I think it was Andy Warhol said that um, great art is great business. I probably butchered the quote, but I think he really believed. And Damien Hurst, I believe, you know, that they embraced the business side of art. I and mean, then I embraced the arty side of business as well. I don't think you can split those. I think you can be very creative in business and you can be very commercial in art. And I wasn't commercial in art. I separated them. I thought you, you could either be creative or commercial. And I wanted to be creative. So I guess I'd predestined my own road to failure. My mum and dad ended up having to let the pub go and sort of retiring about three years after 2005. Um, but they retired with nothing. So you could have said if I'd have carried on where I was going, I'd have earned 200 quid a week max for another three years. And then, then when they retired, I'd have had to do something else because I'd have been left with nothing. And I don't know what that would have been. No, it's. I mean, do you believe, though, that things happen for a reason? I think it depends how you look at it. I think if you if you look at everything as happen, happening for a reason, you can find the reason in it. Um, some of my mentors say um, everything that happens happens on the way, not in the way. Mm -hmm. On the way means, oh, your challenge is on your path towards your journey, whereas in the way means it's an obstacle you can't get past. So I couldn't say for sure if everything happens for a reason, because I don't think anyone on this planet alive has that answer to divinity or. Um, no, you know, and I don't want to go to, into kind of faith and all that. That's not the point. It's just having now interviewed 50 or 60 entrepreneurs all over the world. And I know you've done hundreds more than that. Um, there seems to be a consistent story, not always, but more often than not, you hear of something that happens and whether we attach more meaning to that thing than actually is there or whether it comes at the right time where actually we are looking for something different, if you know what I mean, that sort of thing. And then all of yeah. a sudden that, that has a greater gravitas. There seems to be something which pushes people in a direction or guides them in a direction which wasn't there beforehand. And that's what I was kind of getting at. Yeah, yeah no, I was just going to get there, actually, because I just wanted to I, I, I try and answer questions very accurately. Yeah. And sometimes that doesn't lend to a soundbitey answer, but I think it's important to get people thinking. So where I was going with this is everything happens for a reason. If you perceive there to be a reason that everything happens, whereas if you don't perceive there to be a reason for anything happening, then there is no reason for anything. So I think it's down to your perception. And this is the thing about being an entrepreneur. Perception is everything. So if you believe that um, when your dad has a nervous breakdown outside your pub and he's getting beaten up in the, by the police in front of you, if you believe yourself to be a victim and weak and powerless and you're going to go back and hide in your house and paint some more and never, never face the world, then that's your reality. But I guess I saw greater meaning and reason on that day. And I couldn't say it was on that day, Nick, because sometimes you hear a lot of stories, don't you, on Netflix or on in autobiographies, like the one, you know, the one day, the one moment of change. Well, that nagged at me for a good week where I hated myself for a week and I beat myself up for a week and I felt extreme shame and embarrassment for a week. But in that week, I must have asked myself a thousand questions I'd never asked before. And that got me to a thousand decisions I'd never done before. Things that I was scared of, like going to networking events as an artist, that's scary. I mean, everyone's talking property and you're an artist, that is scary. Um, and, you know, meeting business people, when you're a real creative, you like rage against the machine and, you know, they're, they're into business all in suits and you're in, you know, these, these weird arty clothes. That was scary. Selling on the phone. That was scary. Public speaking. That was scary. But I did all those scary things because I now had a greater reason. I now had a, um, you know, I had a greater pain than my fears. 
Um, so do I now believe everything happens for a reason? Um, I believe if I don't see the reason in something happening, I'm not getting the lesson. So, yes, I'm trying to see the reason in everything that happens, good or not good, so that I can get the lesson that life is teaching me. Okay, that's a great answer. And I'm glad we did go a little bit deeper into that. I mean, a lot of people listen to this um, show and they think it's just going to be talking about marketing and sales and how you raise finance. But we tend to go a little bit more into the mindset side of things because mm. I think it's interesting for people just to learn about how how people have got to where they've got to. The nuances actually matter. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah I, so, I agree. So with that, with that step then, obviously you went into, we, we talked about you going into, into property. What was, the, what was the driving thing that was on the back of your mind? Was it to, to create wealth at that point in time to kind of step change where you were, that trajectory? Or did you have something else, a greater mission in mind at that point? I think it was a journey, Nick. I don't think everything happened at once. The, yeah. initial, the initial action was away from pain. So it was like, I'm failing. My dad is really ill. I've got to do something. I didn't know what. I didn't know how. But the pain was enough to push me to go and do things that were uncomfortable for me. But I felt like my answers might lie within property investing, you know, working in a, a company that is more commercial, sales, marketing, all these areas that I guess I'd rejected. So that was step one. Um, and then I suppose I was on a search for, OK, what could I be really interested in? Because I was only ever really interested in art. I didn't know how else I could have a profession um, you know, other than working for someone else like my dad. Um, and I actually found out quite soon that property was definitely something that I liked the idea of. Um, one, because it seemed to be fun. Um, two, because it seemed to be a really great money making model. Like you look at anyone on the rich list and you talk to anyone who's worth a lot of money. Property's right up there. It's very tangible. It's very real. Um, you, you know, you can turn it around, you can own it and earn on it for decades or even hundreds of years. You, you know, it can make your children and their children rich. So there was a lot of boxes that were ticked in property. So that was probably stage two. Stage three was probably like, I, I'm more interested in general business than just bricks and mortar. I always liked the idea of um, how to source the properties. I like the idea of the marketing campaigns. I like the, the company setup and the structure, uh, not just the, the properties themselves. So then that took me wider into being a businessman or, or, or an entrepreneur. So I suppose they're the three main steps. It was, I don't know what I need to do, but I've got to do something to start looking. And then it was, ah, property's interesting. And then it was, wait a minute, business and entrepreneurship are even, even more interesting. Of course, then that opened the door for all my books and all my podcasts and all my social media stuff. Okay, cool. Now, the reason, I mean, partly you don't know my full story, and this is, this is me interviewing you, so I'm not going to get into it, but the, the listeners know my story. And I had a lot of collisions at one point, which forced me into a direction, if you like. Well, I, I feel it did anyway. But over that time, what I did is I, I had to get into a different room. I, I, I say often that if you're, in the, if you're the biggest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And so one of those rooms I got into was your room and a number of other people. What, the question I want for you is what, what happened in terms of education and mentorship? through that transition. You said you learned a lot when you got put into that world of property in that first year, but what else did you do around that time to kind of help you get what you needed to take that journey? Yeah, so 2006 was my absolute breakthrough year in that regard. So in 2005, I'd never read a book other than Fantastic Mr. Fox. I didn't even read my um, GCSE or A-level books. I just blagged them because um, I hated reading. Uh, I wasn't up for, I, I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do. What do you know? I was very... 
I was arrogant, but not in a cocky outwardly way. But I said, I'm not listening to you. What can you tell me? Who do you think you are? You know, I'll find out. I'll do it my way. So the idea of a mentor was like an, an anti-concept to me. I'd never spent a penny on my education, yet I was buying 500-pound suits when I was earning 200-pound a week. And that was pre-2005. And then in 2006, I read Think and Grow Rich, Richest Man in Babylon, Who Moved My Cheese, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Oh, yeah, great. All the um, you know, <laughs> Total Recall, Arnold Schwarzenegger's um, autobiography. I could list loads of books. And then you know what it's like when you re read a good book. You read a good book, but then that references three or five books. And then you read those, and then they reference three or five books. And all of a sudden, you've opened a matrix of uh, an infinite number of doors. And so in 2006, I got a mentor. I got a coach. I went on courses. I was in a mastermind. I read books. Um, I, when you could, I started listening to audio books. And when you could, I started listening to podcasts and I invested in myself. And I'd never seen, you know, I'd quite happily put a 50 inch TV on the wall for a few grand when I didn't have it back then or bang an Olison TV that would rotate when I didn't have the money, but not invest in my education, my mentorship, my knowledge. Uh, and I now do believe it is true to say that the investment in yourself is the best investment you could make. I'm actually now just looking for my next mentor. I've got two people who I'm down to. We're just lining up a package on each of those. Um, I've had many mentors over the years, very famous ones like James Kahn, um, you know, who was on Dragon's Den. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how many courses I've done in the last 15 years, and I don't know how many masterminds I've been on. But I know I've spent, invested a seven-figure sum, myself, Mark, and for my staff, you know, on education, mentorship, masterminding, courses, etc. And And I believe that you have to feed your mind and, you know, what you feed your mind, your thoughts become. So if you feed your mind with podcasts and audiobooks on business and personal development and mindset and strategy and disruption and overcoming challenges and growth, then that's going to be your overwhelming thought process. Whereas if you watch mainstream media, I, I just watched recently the um, Diana two-part series, and I also watched the Rupert Murdoch three-part series. On, on And basically, I, I don't want to get too much into this, but I really think there's a major problem with the media in this country. Um, I, I watched the Nicholas Anelka documentary yesterday, and, and basically there was a ruling that enabled the media to make up quotes if they felt that the context upon those, which those quotes were based were true. And, and like, how can you make? No, it's it, it's and, crazy. And I, I mean, I spent I fifteen years in it. I mean, I worked. I worked with Rupert Murdoch for seven years in Australia. Yeah, I'm not from him, by the way. No, 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 no. And like, we want to talk about empires in a minute. So yeah, <laughs> we're right. so many people are getting fed stuff that isn't true, stuff that's biased, stuff that's got ulterior motives, stuff that doesn't serve them, stuff that doesn't make the world a better place. And if you get rid of all that. And you feed your mind the opposite of that. You'll you you will become what you feed your mind. I really believe in that. No, I love that. I love that. And I believe it too. I mean, I I'm not a big believer in in sort of you know watching every bit of news or trying to kind of get myself um, overwhelmed by the amount of information because if you don't to some extent control that or, or, or work out what you feed your mind with, it's just going to happen to you. I find because there's mm. just so much stuff these days. Yeah. Question for you on all of that, and particularly now, because I've got two mentors and a coach now, and, and I'm I've, I'm in a similar sort of journey in terms of the investment side of it. Do you find you can do too much or do too much too quickly so that you've got so much floating around that to actually move that into taking action, it becomes difficult? Or are you really good at getting precision around, around taking something in and then seeing how that applies? Um, I think with anything, you can have excess. Um, so if you have 10 different mentors and they're all giving you 
um, polarized advice that could be overwhelming or confusing for sure. Um, I think if you go on loads of courses and never write any notes and don't actually set any actions, I would say that that's probably not the best use of your investment. But what I would say is if you're going on courses and you're educating yourself and you're listening to audiobooks and podcasts, I would say that some of the information is probably sinking in on the subconscious level and will manifest out in the actions and decisions you make. So, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, education is nothing without action. I actually don't agree with that. I think if you feed your mind enough, there will be unconscious actions because, you know, your thoughts lead to decisions and your decisions lead to actions. So just because you don't do it on the day of the course doesn't mean you'll ever do it. But I don't I do think there is such a thing as a course junkie. Um, and by the way, I'm a course junkie. But I think the excessive course junkie is the person that gets the hit, the dopamine hit out of the education, but not out of the action. And the education is a means of procrastination. Um, and we all go through that. So I would just say, I just have a little rule when it comes to being on a mastermind, listening to an audio book. Uh, and that is, it, as I'm listening or learning or in that situation, it immediately implement minimum three things. So I'll give you an example. I'm listening to an audio book on disruption right now, because it's one of my favorite subjects being uh, the Disruptive Entrepreneur and having a podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Uh, and I was working out this morning listening to it. And there was one um, thing that the lady said that I thought, ah, I could put that in my vision meetings. Um, let me just find it because I emailed it to myself. It just says, what, um, what do your future customers need? So most companies are thinking about what their current customers need. But she believes that disruption is finding out what your future customers need. And I just thought that could be good in our vision meeting. So when we're talking about next quarter, next year, and we're looking to disrupt ourselves, not just asking what's the new business model and where do we want to move into, but what do our future customers need? Now, that's one audio book. And I immediately sent that to myself to put in my vision meeting agenda. And implementing that will make will have a return on investment on that audio book. So I just endeavor to have minimum three things that I implement. And if you spend a grand, two grand, five grand, 10 grand, 50 grand on a course or mentorship or masterminding, and you implement three key result area or income generating tasks, they're going to pay for the course. Now, many masterminds I do, because I'm a coach in many masterminds and I'm also a peer in one, I'll often come out with 40 or 45 different actions. I went to a mastermind day just last week. Um, there's about 45 potential actions. I whittled it down to 15 and I sent the 15 to one of my team members to implement. Job done, return on investment. Correct. So it's about getting clear on your return on investment. And I think if you want mentors, you can have more than one business mentor, but get one, maybe two max mentors in each discipline. You'd, you'd probably only have one personal trainer. You'd probably only have one go, go to a martial arts class. Maybe you'd do two. Um, so just don't have too many. Yeah. No, I went to um, Tony Robbins' date with destiny a few years ago, and there's a guy I sat next to who had been on his eighth in a row. And no judgment, of course, but I did say, you know, how are you finding that? And he goes, I just, I get accountability out of coming. And I was like, okay, fair enough. But I thought, you know, your destiny doesn't change that often. <laughs> was no, my that, that, that is very true. But at the same time, um, what's it better to be addicted to? Going on motivational courses or going down the pub and having 12 pints oh, of it? Yeah. So I think, you know, like I am a bit of a course junkie. I'm a bit of an, um, an information and education junkie. Do I, do I implement even 80 do i implement even 20 percent of what i learn probably not but the other 80 percent has got to be rattling in there now some people say oh but rob it's really hard to retain information and you don't retain most of it give your subconscious mind some credit it's a pretty amazing supercomputer 
So this is why I like audio books as opposed to physical books, because I can listen to an audio book when I'm in the gym, in my garden or when I'm on a walk or when I'm in the car. And a lot of that stuff is going in at the unconscious level. How do you know it's not going to manifest at the right time next week, next month, next year? It's going to come through you. Yeah, I find the um, sometimes there's connections that come together from different things. So I'll be in a room with someone and they'll say something and then I'll be in a room with someone else. And then three or four things connect together and you get clarity from that. So it's the yeah. piecing together subconsciously, which makes the difference to get you that point too. Cool. Yeah, well, you hear the same thing three or four times on three or four different audios. And the first time you did nothing with it, but you, you're like, why am I hearing that again? And that again, yeah. I've got something about that. No, yeah. I remember the first time I invested in myself at all. It was buying it was buying a Tony Robbins tape, you know, or, or like download tape or whatever else. And I was like paying 300 quid thinking, what am I doing? What am yeah. I doing? And then I think back, actually, my wife's probably going to listen to this or she might be already. So I won't say exactly what I've spent over the last three years, but <laughs> it's a sizable sum, Rob. <laughs> it's an investment. Oh, my God. You know, the return, though, and we've talked about this offline, the return on everything that I've done, because my my belief system changed fundamentally, too. I was private equity guy and I was in a world that felt quite toxic to me for various reasons and being able to help people through this podcast and 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 get the feedback that I'm doing that um, has changed the way that I operate and the way that I think about things and that in its turn has returned more than more than anything monetary you know it's been powerful 100% cool let's talk about let's talk about scale up let's talk about scale up and I want to talk about it in the context of your definition um partly by exploring your journey here because you've got multiple businesses now um first first question is where where do you want to go i mean what's what's the with these do you want more businesses what 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 are you trying to create and build okay so my vision is to help as many people on the planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education uh, and i believe that my books and podcasts and my social media presence and my content and my companies all cascade down from that vision and support that vision. I have a foundation, the Rob Wall Foundation, which does the same thing, especially for young and underprivileged um, entrepreneurs. Or I define an entrepreneur as someone who wants to create a meaningful product or service, someone who wants to make a, a meaningful difference on the planet. Um, so, you know, a lot of people wouldn't define themselves as entrepreneurs, whereas if you're creative, innovative, and you've got an, an, an amazing or interesting story or a different way of bringing a, a product or service to market, I believe you're an entrepreneur. Um, so really, that's my grand vision. It's my immortal vision, because I would like to think that it would live beyond me. Um, you know, if if I were if I were to die at the end of this live interview, uh, one, you'd probably get more downloads. So that'd probably be good for you, Nick. But, um, I hope but, that doesn't happen, Rob, but no, thank no, you no. for the, thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> uh, I believe that my content would live, you know, long beyond me. Um, and I'd like my content to live for hundreds of years beyond me um, and, and the difference that I make. And I believe that the, you know, the millions, the tens of millions, the hundred mil hundreds of millions that come along are a result of that. And that would be what my empire is built around. So really, for me, the vision, which is the ethereal, um, creates the the tangible um, companies, books, content, etc. And I'm not particularly fixed to how many companies I'll have and how many properties I'll have and how many schools or libraries I might build or, or whatever, because as long as I'm moving towards that that vision, as long as I'm on a mission towards that vision, then I quite like the mystery of how the um, you know, the physical assets that support that will manifest. Um, I think a lot of people are trying to plan too much and 
want to be too clear and too specific with their goals. But I like the mystery that I could build a school in a, in you know in a developing country or continent. I could build a library. It might be an online library. It might not be a physical library. It might be an online library with terabytes worth of content. Or I could be in the developing world um, helping install um, wired internet connections. I could have um, different training companies in, in different countries. I could be on a social media platform that doesn't even exist today. And as long as they move me closer towards my vision, which, by the way, when you have a clear vision, you have spontaneous priority, clarity, you have you um, dissolve overwhelm and procrastination. So for me, that's always the guiding light. If I'm a bit like, oh, should I be doing this? Am I getting distracted? Hmm. I just check in. Will it move me towards my vision? If it does, I do it. If it doesn't, I don't. And the rest is up to the ethereal, the intangible. <laughs> when did you when did you work that out? You know, did, was there a point where, okay, I've now got, you know, X hundred properties. <laughs> or is this something that's just built over time? Or did you actually go away and really think about this? Or I'm just curious right. about how you got to that clarity. Yeah, all of those. I reckon I got clear on that, that maybe six or seven years ago. So I started in business 15 years ago. My initial reason for being in business was to A, get out of debt, because I was in nearly 50 grams of the debt, and B, do something with my life to make my dad proud. Um, then we built various companies that were the strategic business models that would help me get out of debt and help me make some money. And then I remember wanting five grand a month, then 10 grand a month. Um, and then I remember wanting to be a millionaire and having a target of before the age of 30, and I actually hit it before the age of 31. And then you want to, you know, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, whatever. But I think... I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for me. Um, they say charity starts at home. And I think when you start, it's okay to want to get out of debt uh, and to you know, want to make money for yourself and look after your family and create a nest egg and a pension and an asset base and some security. That's all good. You've got to do that serving others. Otherwise, that'll be much harder. But I think when you get to a point when you realize you've got enough money, and I've had that realization a few times. I'm on my fifth retirement at the moment, Nick. Um, have, you, have you retired again? Yeah, yeah. No one, no one believes me because I've retired. <laughs> and I'm retired, retired, and I'm retired. Um, but no, I've retired. Um, okay. But um, I've had the realization a few times. I don't need any more money. But I, I believe there is a human need within us all to grow. There is a human need within us all to find out our purpose uh, and to find a way to connect that with creating the most value on this planet. I believe that is an inbuilt human neurological, biological need. You know, why else do we always want more? Um, why do we get reward chemicals that flow through our body when we achieve something difficult? Why do we keep getting thrown challenges all the time? If you answer these questions, the I think the the consistent answer is um, it's all forced um, feedback to grow, to scale, to become better, bigger. So, so a lot of people see growth as oh, I just I just want this problem to go away. Um, so then I can relax and retire and be secure and quit my job and uh, live off the passive income, etc. Am I right to jump in here? Um, and, and I just don't think that's the meaning of life. Um, I am a bit more restless and um, fidgety and relentless and impatient. And um, I don't know what the opposite of boredom is, but I don't handle boredom very well. Someone um, said the opposite of boredom is fear. I heard that definition once. I, I, it's quite an interesting way of reflecting on it. Because if you if you challenge yourself, you feel fear. You feel that kind of that edge if you like to do something. But boredom is the opposite. You know that. So it's a, a, an interesting paradigm, yeah, really. 
it is it is a weird paradox with boredom because I, most entrepreneurs don't like being bored and will stay busy to be bored. And we can convince ourselves we were busy when we were actively procrastinating just not to be bored. Um, but sometimes when you force yourself to be bored, you get your best ideas. Yeah. So it's definitely a paradox. And I, I am in a period of my life right now where I've retired again. Um, so I'm 41. I first retired when I was 27. I actually talked about my different stages of retirement. I've worked out this four different stages of, or four different types of retirement, having retired so many times. Um, but I'm forcing I still myself. don't believe you, Rob. I'm sort of no, thinking that you're going. No, this, is, this is a point, so you can come up with another idea, and then you'll come yeah. back with a, you know. Uh, I, don't, I don't really care if anyone believes me or not. All I know is I'm retired <laughs> today, and that's that's all, that's all I know. Perfect. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I can't remember what the question was. But the question was the question was about vision. But the, you, you said something I want to come back to because you said there's a point where you came to that about five or six years ago through various things that were happening. But you also made a point that a lot of people, when they're first trying to build something, they're trying to create some wealth or freedom, that they're focused on that one thing like it's oxygen. Mm. And I'm curious, there's a point where you must have gone through your journey where, you know, you saw it working with the property game. There was a point where you thought, you know what, this is happening now. This is happening. I'm making a certain amount of money. So there's a point where, I don't know, maybe there's a sigh, there's a kind of letting the breath out. There's a bit like, actually, I can see a pathway here. And then perhaps your mind opens to some bigger things. I'm not saying that's for everyone, but I'm just curious your perspective on that. Yeah, so I think I got to a stage in my journey as an entrepreneur where I realized that my vision and my mission um, needed to be much bigger than myself. And there's a few reasons for this, Nick. One is I believe that if you want to grow, uh, you will grow in direct proportion to the size of your vision. So if you've got a vision to help your community, which is marginally bigger than you, you'll grow to the maximum capacity of your community. But if you have a global vision, you could potentially grow to the maximum capacity of your country or your continent. Now, if you have an intergalactic vision, like Elon Musk and, um, you know, Virgin Galactic, thank you, then, you know, you've got the, the scale not just on uh, in the globe, but you've got the scale of, um, well, in infinite space and time. Um, John Demartini talks about the, the, the world being his playground um, and, you know, wanting to, to serve as many people on the planet as possible in, in, in any country. So I believe the bigger the scale of your vision and the scalability and the reach of your business model and your vision, um, I believe the more you'll grow and the more you'll contribute. So just trying to get rich yourself is a very small vision. It's, it's a self-serving. Whereas trying to change the world is, you know, serving vast numbers of people. Um, so there are commonalities of the richest people in the world. One of them is a, an, an inherent deserving of wealth and opulence. But one of them is a product or a service or a model um, or a life that serves vast numbers of people. So paradoxically, if you want to become more wealthy, you need to stop thinking about being wealthy for yourself and you need to serve more people and you'll get a portion of that wealth that you create. Um, and I also think that people don't really care about your personal vision. Like, I don't really think that people care if someone says, oh, yeah, I want to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a millionaire. I want to be a millionaire. Yeah, I'm going to be a millionaire. I don't think there's going to be millions of people going, yeah, I want you to be a millionaire. Yeah, I'm back with you. I'm, I'm with you every step of the way. I'll do whatever you say because I want you to be a millionaire. I mean, look, they, they might um, be inspired because they want to be a millionaire themselves, maybe. Um, but I think people are interested in people when they've got a product or a service or some content or something to say that benefits them. And this is the concept of fair exchange. So the concept of fair exchange is where you make fair profit for the work that you do 
uh, and the, the person, the client or the people that you serve, they get fair value for the money that they pay for your product or service where you get fair profit margin. And fair exchange creates maximum scalability, maximum gratitude for you, i.e. You know, if you've sold something too cheap, you can be a bit resentful to your clients. It's not their fault. If you sold it too cheap, you'd be just, oh, it's not really worth my time doing this. Uh. Whereas if you made a fair profit and you didn't think you were ripping them off, you'd feel gratitude. Now, your client would feel gratitude if they got good value. If they paid too much, they'd feel a bit ripped off. And if they didn't pay enough, they'd feel like they'd got one over you. So when there's gratitude in you and gratitude in your client, you have financial fair exchange. Now, if you create financial fair exchange on a global level, you're going to get very rich and the world is going to benefit no end. And I guess I figured this out, I don't know, maybe a decade ago or just a bit under. And so I started focusing less on myself or more on others. Now, if you just serve everyone else and not yourself and you don't charge enough and you're doing all this stuff for free and everything's for charity, then you're doing the opposite. You're negating yourself. So financial fair exchange is where you get maximum profit margin, maximum wealth. But you have to have a desire to serve others and make a difference in the world as well as becoming a millionaire yourself. Yeah, no, well, you, we talked about growth beforehand. And, and the big thing for me, again, transition was growth and contribution. But I fully believe, you know, what's that famous Zig Ziglar quote that gets used a lot, which is, if you help someone else or everyone get what they want in life, you'll have everything you need or want in life. And I yeah. still love that as a principle. It's great. Mm. Who was the most influential mentor then over that journey? Because you've mentioned, for example, John Martini a lot. And I've studied some of his work. Is he up there? Or is there anyone else you would like name as being the one who's really, or is it just a blend of quite a few different people? I mean, look, I, I try and learn from everyone and I've learned from my competitors uh, and I've learned, I've read so many autobiographies and books and podcasts and on so many courses and learned from, from many. Um, I often get asked this question. I think the person I've learned from the most is Dr. John Demartini. I should, talking about fair exchange. They should be paying me a lot of money because I've got a good I was going to say, you've got a deal there, haven't you? You must have had like, you know, some affiliate link. <laughs> I love something. I love Alexander McQueen clothes. I love the Alexander McQueen documentary. I love Odomar Piguet watches. I'm the sort of person when I love something, I'll just go and shout about it. And, you know, I, I'm enough. not looking for any, any commissions or anything like I that. I tell but... everyone who wants to do a podcast to go to go and see you, mate. So there you go. Thank so you. <laughs> kind of you. So and I'll, I'll pay it forward. And I would say um, if people have studied um, me and consumed a lot of my work and, um, you know, they want to know my influences. Dr. John Domartini has been probably one of my main influences. Um, but, you know, if you think about the amount of content I've consumed in the last 15 years, it's got to be on average 10, 15 hours a week, times that by 52, times that by 15. So even though I've consumed nearly all of John Domartini's content, I should think, other than a couple of his really out there courses, maybe, um, it's still only probably 1% of my influence. Yeah, OK, got it. No, it's, I, mean, I think it's a blend of things. I've got a number of people. I think if, if someone asked me that question, probably Tony Robbins was the one that got me thinking differently because yeah. I wasn't thinking anything like that stuff beforehand, you know, and whatever people think of him, it definitely made a difference in terms of just my whole belief system. But, yeah. you know, I agree with you. There's, you know, spending, spending a day in the room with you, you get a lot of insight, particularly around mm -hmm. some of the, the practical things as much as anything else. So, else. Nick, there's something else I'd like to add to this discussion. It's really important. It'll take me yeah. 30 seconds. Um, when people listen to you, they should also honor your uniqueness. If people listen to me, then they're looking for my take on what I've learned. So I do often get asked a lot, you know, who have you learned from and who's your mentor? Um, but I'll say this with humility, but I've got 15 years of experience in business, doing hundreds of millions of pounds um, and, it, you know, getting various accolades, which would, you know, make me right up there in, in the UK with the top business influencers. Um, so never, 
Never dishonor your own uniqueness, your own interpretation. You know, some people say, oh, there's no new ideas under the sun. Well, there is here and there is there. Because no matter what ideas you and I have learned from mentors, it comes from our own filter, our own experience, mm -hmm. our own business journey. So, you know, people follow me and follow you for what we bring. And I say that because a lot of people don't honor their own uniqueness, especially people looking to start and scale up in business. Um, honor your own uniqueness. I've got a unique experience in business in the last 15 years, as have you, Nick, and as has anyone listening. And if, okay, you might have only been doing it 15 months or whatever. Um, I've learned as much doing as I have reading and listening and going on courses. I've been on the, you know, at the coal face. Um, so yeah, it's just important to say. No, I think so. No, it's a, it's a massive point. I mean, I, I often say the gift of, of doing a podcast um, for me, I mean, there's been lots of gifts, right? But one of the main gifts is I get to spend you know, half an hour, an hour with someone. And, and often the conversations happen well and truly pre or post the recording. And some of the most amazing people, right? You know, if, if I think about just education and mentorship as well, and what I've found personally with that is those things, I like guess we said before, they, they kind of rattle around in your head. You're, you're, they're, they're hitting you in different ways. So the perspectives I have, I might not always agree with someone. I might not agree with what you're saying sometimes and vice versa, which is healthy. But you know what? It's, it's, it's hearing those different things and then being able to contextualize them in your own way and I found that I can then put my message out there, which might be nuance or, or a, a build or whatever else on someone else's. But if that message lands with someone in the right way and helps them, then that's a great thing as well. hundred mm, yeah. percent. And I think a lot of people in the UK are looking for UK influence and not just American influence. Um, yeah, I love having these conversations. I'm interviewing two billionaires tomorrow and one at one o'clock and one at three o'clock. You announced uh, who they are, Rob. Was it, uh, has it been announced? I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it for now. 100th but, episode gift for Nick Bradley. Yeah. <laughs> I know that there are many podcasters that get to interview two billionaires in a day. Um, I feel very grateful and privileged to be able to do that. Um, I'm really pleased for you, Nick, that you got your podcast started. I remember the course you were in with me. Um, and to, to think now you've done 100 episodes, um, that makes me feel really good. Yeah, great. Well, listen, let's let's finish off with a, with a couple of kind of quick um, sort of practical things if we can, Rob, just give you another couple of minutes of your time. Obviously, massive change is, is going through the world right now. Um, business is changing. I don't think it's going to go back to what it was. I think there's some fundamental things that are that are going to be systemic. What's, what's your advice? If you could give three tips to people who are trying to scale, navigate, you know, even survive, trying to kind of deal with all this massive global change, both... I suppose, socially, economically, the whole piece, what would those things be? Um, I think the first thing would be going back to the bit, bit I took from the disruption podcast I was listening to. Um, where is your future customer? Because your customer demographic, your ideal client profile, um, what your customers want may have changed for you as a company. Um, my customers wanted online because they couldn't get face-to-face -face education because of the lockdown. So that was where our change was. It wasn't really a pivot. We were already there. We were already ready. Um, I like the, the saying, don't get ready, be ready. So you've got to be ready for things that come along. So um, yeah, where is your future customer or what new product or service, whether it's in your market, but a different version or in a new market, you know, where's the change? Because the, the companies that find that change the quickest, they are they are the companies in, in the sectors that, you know, that are going to win and going to win big. So I'd say that's my first tip. 
I'd say the second one is you're seeing disruption as a positive. So if you study time, you know, history, empires are built and empires last for hundreds or even sometimes one to 2,000 years, and then they break. And then new empires are built and then they break. So anytime there's major disruption, like, uh, you know, a mini cycle of a recession or a unique situation like this quarantine, this COVID, there's actually a new order built where the old empire is to a certain degree and destroyed. That's the chaos. And then the new order is formed. So especially if you're a startup or a scale up, i.e. you're not a mature company in your market. This lockdown situation might have actually wiped out a lot of the big players and it made it really hard for the competitors who aren't lean and aren't agile. And as an entrepreneur who's in the early stages of your journey, if you are, you are more lean and more agile by definition. And if you're not, you need to make sure that you are. So I would say that's the second tip, always seeing the upside of disruption, the upside of chaos. And most people only see the downside because that's the human fear emotion coming in. And then the third thing is what you can plan for. And here's the reality of planning. And I don't think anyone really says this. So hopefully this is a unique answer for your podcast, Nick. The only thing you can plan for is the thing you can't plan for because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So people are planning for scenario A, scenario B, scenario D. In fact, um, in pre-lockdown, I planned for scenario B, C, D, E, F, G. But in reality, what happened was unique to what I planned for but I could take excerpts of various plans and create a hybrid that worked. So I think the people who succeed the most are able to adapt, evolve, bob, weave and dance with what happens and not overly plan because you cannot plan for the future. You can only, the best way to be ready is to be ready for what you don't know you can be ready for. And it's a paradox, but- No, I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah, um, it's almost overprepared to some extent because you kind of think of as many of the contingencies as possible. But even if the thing that lands in front of you isn't exactly what you plan for, you've done enough planning. <laughs> well, maybe not enough, but you've done more. You know, you've got a better chance, if you like, of being able to, you know, get a better result from it. Yeah, just just start planning for what you couldn't plan for. And I know, again, I know that sounds like a paradox, but it gets you thinking in a different way. Um, you know, it gets you capacity planning, disaster planning, and all those kind of things. So yeah, awesome. that's probably tips. Mate, I love I love our conversations. As I said, I've sat in a room with you for for days, and you know, as mm. I said, I wouldn't have been doing this podcast without that inspiration, sir. So, thank you so much for coming on the hundredth episode. I've been looking forward to this immensely. Love the conversation. And for anyone listening who hasn't um, listened to Rob Moore's Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, we'll put a link into the show notes. It's by far and away, in my view, the best UK business one, if not one of the best business podcasts in the world. So, thank Rob you. Moore, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure.